Hey, Blunheads, two of Philly's most popular podcasts collide in this episode. Conrad Benner, the talent, brains, and energy behind Streets Department, one of Philly's most popular blogs and podcasts, as well as a guy who's constantly named one of Philly's most influential people, joins us to talk about his roots in Fishtown, the journey of Streets Department, Philly's thriving art scene, coming out to his parents, and more. It's a rare glimpse inside one of Philly's more creative personalities, as he's normally on the other side of the microphone doing the interviews. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, follow all that stuff wherever you consume your podcast, tell all your friends, and follow us on social media, all as the Philly Blunt, and that's uh, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And don't forget, you can watch these interviews live on Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Just uh, subscribe to one of our social media outlets so you get news of when we're going live. We hope you enjoy this really interesting interview with a great Philadelphian, Conrad Benner. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Philly Blunt. My name is Johnny Goodtimes. I'm Reef. This is Greg. And we are thrilled to have our uh, latest guest, uh, the esteemed photographer, blogger, uh, chronicler of uh, Philadelphia art, and uh, all-around cool dude, Conrad Benner. Welcome to the show. Want to start out, want to start out, I know that you've been all over the city and in all sorts of sketchy buildings and uh, taking photos and, and, and all over the place. I want to know what's the most scared you've been. I know you've been in subways. I know you've been on top of the Divine Lorraine. I want to know what's the scariest place you've been to take a photo. That is such a interesting question. Yeah, like when the blog started, um, you know, folks when they do art in the public space will oftentimes do stuff on abandoned buildings or construction materials. So there's a lot of stuff on abandoned buildings and inside abandoned buildings. Uh, and so my interest was, for, even from a kid, was going in some abandoned buildings. Oftentimes the doors just like open. Um, I think when I went to the roof of the Divine Lorraine, like in 2012, it was pretty uh scary it was raining and the roof was slanted and it's i'm like a 36 year old man i would never do that today well okay but it was terrifying got it um so you were you were on top of the divine lorraine and what was the uh um what was the purpose of that and how i I had seen a little video where you guys you know kind of snuck your way up and the higher you went the scarier the floor got um and this is obviously well before they started renovating the place it's a whole different world now but we're going back almost a decade uh tell us a little bit about that experience yeah we so i was invited by two uh, artists who were gonna install that day and um that's how a lot of these things end up happening you know I think actually one of the times I, so I've never been asked that question, like framed, like scared. It's always just like, I'm recording artists doing work. Um, but I'm also like a photo journalist or photo blogger. So I'm there as an observer and, you know, a lot of times I don't know what's going to happen exactly. For example, one of the first times I ever went out with an artist was I was invited by Ishnitz, who's a yarn bomber in Philly, to follow her on the Frankfurt Line L, the blue line, and as she installed some yarn work on seats. And 
I was terrified. I didn't know what was going on. She was working so quickly. People were like asking her questions and like half of people were loving it. Half were just mad someone was in their way. Um, what are you doing? Put me on here. I'm yeah. trying to go to work for me. This was 2011 and someone was like, is this for the internet? And we were like, kind of, I don't know. Like <laughs> for art, it's art goes everywhere, including the internet. There's a whole question right there. The intro, the intro <laughs> web. <laughs> And with the divine rain, it was the same thing. Two artists said, you know, do you want to shoot us installing somewhere? And I said, sure. And they said, how about the divine rain? You know, it was also part of this like phase of the blog where I was exploring more of those abandoned structures. You know, I grew up obviously loving street art, but also really like deeply interested in architecture. Um, I had like architecture magazines and I always, I knew like what the top 30 skyscrapers were in the whole world. I was like kind of crazy like that reading architecture blogs. So the opportunity to like go with these artists and go stand on the top of the Divine Lorraine and get like cool views of this city, explore this like architecture marvel, which even then in 2012, we're like, this is, someone's gonna renovate this. Like this isn't always gonna be available to whomever walks through the open door. Um, so yeah, it was a chance to like see a different side of my city, connect with artists and, and photograph things that I thought were like of interest for me in the blog and yeah. yeah. I, I wanna go back have- a little, oh, go ahead. Rock out, go ahead, Greg. I you got it, man. Go. No, no, you guys. Oh, thank you. Such a gentleman. So you mentioned uh, Divine Lorraine. I'm, I'm wondering, as someone that takes photos of, you know, a lot of these decaying sort of, you know, mythical, beautiful places that are in ruins. How do you feel about a place like that being renovated and then kind of becoming like a, a touristy uh, hotspot where they sell, you know? $30 keychains and shit like that. Does that bother you or do you see it as a part of just the progress? Yeah, that's an interesting question. It's also like I just view that first and foremost as just like a lifelong Philadelphia and I grew up here. I grew up in Fishtown. Um, and I think, you know, I have all sides of that. You know, part of it is frustrating because I see uh, change like that as being changed that often uh, first and foremost helps people who maybe aren't long-term residents or maybe who have a ton of money. Um, Sometimes projects like that can work to like push out long-term residents. It's tough because cities are always changing, right? Like always changing. So like the idea that like the city is going to be exactly how it was when you were growing up forever is not going to happen. So it's all of it, you know, knowing that cities are always changing, but also like maybe being frustrated less maybe at the opportunity, you know, what's better for a community or for a city or for a neighborhood, an abandoned building or like some service to that community, whether it is a hotel or an apartment building that helps lower the cost of rent across the board or a grocery store. You know, when I was growing up in Fishtown, there wasn't a single grocery store. And now there's like River Ward's produce. It's there because the neighborhood is gentrified, but it's still nice to, you know, my mom and dad who lived in the house because they live in since the eighties, since the seventies. Um, can like go walk and get a tomato. They won't. They'll still drive to the Jersey. Uh, they go. <laughs> My parents are so funny. I love those Jersey tomatoes, man. <laughs> My dad drinks Diet Pepsi like no one's business. If you're at my house, he has a Diet Pepsi next to him, a two liter, and a cup of ice. And it's just a con- so ever since the soda tax, they're going to the suburbs. I'm like, aren't they more gas? They don't care. It's like a it's like a moral thing for them. <laughs> it's, the, it's the principle of it. Yeah. But um. 
but my so my that's my dad my mom's like a little more cosmopolitan so like we'll walk over and get a tomato from river wards and come back and make a salad or something but um yeah i mean i i don't think it's like black and white i don't think it's like 100 percent good or bad but it is like something to observe and think about like is the divine lorraine better now than it was abandoned i don't know is it doing what the original intent was i don't think so i don't know those are big questions sure sure I wanted to go back to, I mean, your photo blogger podcast host from Fishtown, which now sounds Ooh. completely normal. Hold on. Can I say one more thing about that, too? Yeah. Sure. The other frustrating thing with the Ryan Lane, too, is like, and this is something I'm just learning about, right? Like, I'm not, an, um, like, I didn't study, like, urban design or urban whatever planning and stuff. And so when you see, like, luxury, when you see, like, luxury buildings being built and luxury condos, you're like, who is that for? It's not for me. I can't afford that. And then, like, you learn the economics. It's, like, actually the more luxury apartments they offer, the the more stable it makes rent in other areas because folks who want, you know, a $2,000 one bedroom won't then go get a, a, a two-story house for themselves. You know, they'll just get that two-story bedroom in the Vine Lorraine and leave, like, you know, the neighborhoods around it alone. I don't know. It's very complex. But from what I understand, oh. more housing better, period. Okay. That's yeah, the point. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yes, yeah, so I, I want to just ask you, being a photo blogger, journalist, uh, podcaster from Fishtown now makes total sense. But 15, 20 years, when you started this, you're not a typical, growing up, I went to school with Fishtown kids, and I was saying, I, I went to college to try and make enough money to move away from Fishtown kids. You are not the typical Fishtown kid. Like, how did you become who you were? Who influenced you with your interest in art? Yeah, I mean, Fishtown. Yeah, I mean, there are always people like me living in Fishtown. I often am like, you didn't grow up in Philly. I'm like, yeah, I did. I just like, my mom and I would watch X-Files. Like, I wasn't out at like the wreck. Like, okay. Mm. Um, actually, my friends and I, my friend Kyle Kohler, Joseph Francis, we would hang out like under the uh, highway. There was like this on-ramp. And under it was like this dirt ramp. So like we would ride our bikes up in the air and stuff. I don't know. I was really influenced by like my parents. I had a, you know, my mom and dad were so warm growing up. I was like a homebody. I think, you know, growing up, like I knew I was gay pretty young too. So like that kind of made me a homebody. You're always kind of like aware of your surroundings and like not wanting to get picked on or like bullied or beat up. Um, so yeah, I think like all of it kind of formed into who I am. I'll tell you one thing though. I grew up in Fishtown and went to a Holy Name of Jesus Christ elementary till fourth grade. Then my mom hated my fourth grade teacher, could not stand her. So then I went to Adair Elementary. Um, and then after that, I went to Central. And when I went to Central, it was like the first time I was like regularly leaving my neighborhood. You know, Philly's super segregated. People kind of stay in their neighborhoods. And going to Central was one of the best things I think I ever did. It put me on the subway every day. I got to go to different neighborhoods. I ended up working at Old Navy at the gallery. Um, and spending more time like in Center City, because that's like what high school kids in Philly do, right? It's like you either go to South Street or you kind of roam Center City. There's not much to do when you're 16, 17. Um, and then, yeah, when in my early 20s, I met a bunch of other like hipstery art people who were like, had recently graduated from like SCAD and Tyler and stuff. And I went with them to like art shows and learned about art through them and then reflected back Beer always makes me burpy, sorry. It reflected back on how <laughs> like, oh, I grew up in the mural capital of the world. Like, art has always been around me. I've always loved murals and street art. And, you know, connecting that, like, 
art world that I was being entered into in my early 20s with the fact that I grew up in a city that always valued art. I know it just all kind of came together in my in my mid 20s. Yeah. With what, the, what was, yeah, what is it about Central? Because everyone that, that that I know that went to Central, they talk about it with fondness, which is rare for, for any high school. But it seems like that school was pretty awesome, huh? Well, so one thing that I it is a mostly academic school, so it's just like a bunch of like nerdy kids. Um, it's also like one of the most diverse public high schools in Philly, which is great. Um, as I mentioned, like. Philly, like a lot of cities, like a lot of parts in this country is like more segregated now than probably we were during the civil rights movement of sure. the 60s. Um, so, you know, the elementary schools I went to, for example, were like by and large predominantly white. And when I went to Central it was like majority non-white. So, mm -hmm. you know, the diversity, the academics of it, you know, and high school is just fun. Um, you know, it's on a hill, like an Olony. So like, I felt like I was in a, in like a TV show, like on your lunch break, <laughs> like, outside on the hill or you could risk it and run across the street and get a pizza which you weren't allowed to do but everyone did it anyway because they didn't care like none of us were right. in trouble um, <laughs> my fond memories of central though end there because in junior high i got sick no one knew what was wrong it just turned out being this bad form of mono and but they kicked me out because my grades were slipping and stuff so i technically graduated from kensington high school but i didn't i didn't spend much time there yeah what uh you know, getting getting into the into the art and into the blog and and into you know what the whole thing has become. Um, just kind of curious, like if you look, you know, you started ten years ago. You're celebrating your ten year anniversary. Uh, it, what it's become after ten years? You think that it's different than what you would have thought on day one, or do you think it's kind of evolved in the way that you would have wanted it to? Oh, for sure. Every every single artist I've met has changed the blog in one way or the other. I've learned from, oh my God, I've learned from so many people in building and, and growing this blog. Um, you know, you started this by asking me about like the Divine Lorraine and some of the abandoned structures. Like I don't really explore those anymore. Um, uh, I mostly focus on sort of the outside of buildings. So after some feedback I got from some writers and stuff to just sort of respect what was going on there. Um, focus, I'm more and more interested in sort of public space because that's where the art lives. And the older I've gotten and the more I've worked with public art, muralism, street art, you realize like the value and the equity that is put into the public space. Philadelphia, I don't know if anyone in the city knows this, but like Philadelphia of the top 10 cities in the country spends almost, a, uh, it's a number nine on the list of how much we spend on parks um, and public space in the city per capita. So Baltimore, one of our closest neighbors, spends twice per person on their parks, you know, basketball courts, hockey courts, hockey courts, hockey, right. um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, but uh, yeah. twice as much than we do. And DC three times as much. Um, and the public space is a great place for like equity and unity. You know, it's where we gather and where we can meet other people or enjoy time alone. Um, it's incredibly valuable and I think we should invest more time in it. So yeah, the blog has grown so many different ways. I mean, I've done petitions like petitioning SEPTA to run 24 seven, petitioning against the Starbucks and, and Dilworth Park for that very reason, like not commercializing, not making parks about capitalism, but making parks, you know, keeping it in the public realm. Um, to more curatorial work over the last few years, the blog has gone from just me being a fanboy, photographing and talking about artists, but also like working with artists to curate exhibitions like To The Poles, or we have murals at the Fashion District, which was the gallery, um, mm -hmm. to our first 100 Days project, which is a poster project. Um, I have some here. 
Um, these posters created to uh, for people to hang in their windows to push the Biden Harris administration on like various uh, progressive issues. That one was about ending student debt, which is actually something they ran on. So that's not even pushing them forward. That's just like right. do what you said you would do. Yeah. Climate change justice. Um, there's so many of these. They're available at the box show too. Fifteen dollar minimum wage. Come on. <laughs> yeah, let's go. When this gets passed, the minimum wage should be forty dollars probably. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I wanted. To, I wanted. To, that was a question that I had. You you led into it beautifully without even knowing. I guess it's just kind of like so many people have photo art blogs. How did you? Was it kind of just through trial and error, or just from people word of mouth? How did you expand it into? You know, it's a legit bit businesses. People reach out to you to do petitions, curate things. How did that come about? Did you have someone helping you or you just along the way just, you know, kind of exploded? Oh, that's a great question. So when I started the blog in 2011, Fanboy Blog, um, I was at community college. Um, I didn't go to college after high school. I spent a bunch of years just doing nothing, um, you know, working part-time jobs and being interested in the art. I did some freelance work, but I was really not, um, I, you know, and I think it was a good thing. I just didn't pick a lane and I just was kind of doing whatever I wanted. I'm glad I had that space then to sort of learn about myself and my interests. Um, but at 24, That's I started- That's to do it. Yeah, honestly. Hmm. Look, we're gonna live to 90 probably. Like, can I take four years off in my early 20s? Come on. <laughs> um, and uh, broke my, I broke my leg when I was 24 in a bike accident, a van hit me, went through this like bout of depression, went to community college to you know figure out what my life was gonna be, started Streets Department along the way, and the blog got a lot of attention really quickly because you know the other media outlets in Philly weren't really paying attention to street art. They were barely writing about the murals and the public art in the city. Um, so uh, I was then offered a job in marketing. I, I quit school, quit the gelato shop I was working at at, the point, at that time, and started working in marketing for four years, and I learned so much there about digital marketing and how to brand myself and how to, you know, make the blog accessible and um, to bring advertisers on. And so when I quit in 2015 to do this full time, there was a bunch of advertising that supported the blog and I've just rolled with the punches since then. Now it's mostly supported through these curatorial projects that we do. Advertising is hard to come by. I have advertising on the podcast. Podcasting seems to be this area where people want to put advertising in, but um, there aren't as many like Instagram suggested, you know, posts anymore. Um, it's more about rolling with the punches. So yeah, if you would have asked me ten, five years ago, let alone 10 years ago, what would the blog be? I probably would have had a different answer, but I think being agile, you know, is the most important thing. I mean, our economy and our life is changing more every day than it probably ever has in like humanity. Like things are pretty stable, going pretty slow than the industrial revolution. And then it's like the last hundred years, it's like, boom, 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 boom. And then I'm 36, well, I turn 36 in a month, I'm 35. You know, I grew up with the information age, so like computers coming out and then phones and then apps and then the internet. And it's like, you know, I couldn't have this job 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So who knows what's gonna be available in five years or 10 years or not, you know? Has it been consistently going well or did you have moments along the way along the 10 years where you almost wanted to give it up or do something else? Yeah, you know, having, you know, effectively getting kicked out of high school and having to graduate from Kensington with like a, a special degree, like it's a long story, but um, because I was still sick, I had to get like a GD, GED kind of thing. I forget what it was called, um, but like I didn't go to graduation. Didn't do that. Anyway, 
And then my early 20s, like the instability there, I was really attracted to the stability of the marketing job I had um, when I was like 25, 26, 27. Um, and I did consider like quitting the blog and just kind of going along that marketing path, you know, continuing to rise in the company and working for brands, writing tweets for, you know, whoever. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, and so I did, I, in 2012, 2013, I seriously considered, you know, oh, the blog was great, but maybe that's not my future, but I couldn't give it up. Um, I enjoy this life too much. I've made so many friends and had so many valuable experiences through the creation of this blog and so many opportunities that have come from it. Um, yeah, I can't, I'm glad I stuck with it and that I'm just kind of rolling with the punches and we'll see where it all goes. Were your parents, were your parents, were your parents supportive when you were quitting your job, quitting the marketing job? Oh, they don't know anything. So like, <laughs> they don't know what I do. They're just, I did, every time I see my dad, he's like, you get hours. I'm like, hours from who? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, hiring, they're hiring down there at the Clint. <laughs> I, I love him so much. He's such, they're both such sweet, sweet people, but they couldn't tell you what I do in a heartbeat. No, even when I worked in marketing, they were like, you do what? And I'm like, I don't know. And my, <laughs> my brother for the longest time thought I, cause I worked for um, Quaker City Mercantile and most of their clients were like liquor brands. So like Hendrick's Gin and sure. I was at like Thanksgiving one year and my brother was like, oh yeah, you're like a, um, like a rep for Hendrickson, right? Like you go around to the different bars and like make sure they have as much. I'm like, no, I don't, what? I'm like, you don't, you know what I do? I do like social media. He goes, oh, okay, well, what's that mean? It's like, well, I put on a, a British voice cause their tone of voice is Scottish, sorry, Scottish. Mm -hmm. And I write tweets for them and I answer people, okay. But um, <laughs> yeah, like, really supportive. And that's what I kind of was trying to say before, like super warm. Like my parents were two of my best friends growing up. Like literally my mom and I would like play Scrabble and watch like X-Files and sliders and all that kind of stuff on a Friday night. And um, yeah, and when I got kicked out of school, they were pretty supportive. My dad was a little more mad than my mom. <laughs> uh, and when I decided not to go to college, they were surprised, but you know, neither of them had gone to college. Um, my brother had gone to a few years of Temple at that point, but had never graduated. So it wasn't like right. this crazy thing that I wasn't going to college. Um, yeah, I think it, nothing, they've always been very supportive and they roll with the punches too. I think it's just like life. How yeah. were they, when, when you came out to them, were they supportive as well? How was that? Like, what was that process like? So it happened at different times. I told my mom, so I knew I was gay at 14. Um, I grew up in the Catholic church. And so um, like that was an experience to figure that out. Um, but I knew it immediately. Or like when yeah. I knew it, I knew it. Um, but I kept it a secret from my parents and t for years. I didn't tell my mom until I was 17. Um, and <laughs> I told her, oh, I told her the end of, a, you know, I decided it's going to happen on Thursday. And my mom and I would have this routine where like we watch the news together. We'd like have snacks and then we'd watch like, I think it was like reruns of friends or Seinfeld or whatever would be on after that. And then she was like going to bed. I was like, oh, I told myself I'd do it this day. Let me do it. And I told her like, as she was like going up the stairs and she goes, I know. <laughs> I, know. I mean, it was a very, I'm your mom. Yeah. I'm your mom. Right. And she's like, can I go to bed? And I was like, yeah. and we hugged and kissed and all that stuff. I didn't tell my dad until I was like 25. Actually, I told my dad after I'd broken up with like my first real long-term boyfriend, we'd been living together. And my dad, the sweetheart he is, he was like, I'll come help you move out. Cause the breakup was fine, but it wasn't great. You know, what breakup mm -hmm. is. Right. Right. So my dad actually came to where we were living. He thought we were roommates. 
helped me move out and like during that process, I just started crying and I was like, you know, he's, and he's like, I know. And yeah, he's like, I love you. I love you no matter what. He's so like such nice. a silly guy. Yeah, yeah. Nice. That's, I mean, that's, it's, it's a shame that that's like, you know, a, a, something that we shouldn't be, it should be everyone's story, right? Like it should just yeah. kind of be like that. For every kid I, 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 I would wish and hope, you know, but unfortunately it's times are, And times are changing and like, you know, uh, times are changing. People are becoming more aware that this is just a part of it. Humanity is complex and beautiful and like there's so many sides to it. Nothing's, you know, right. um, but, you know, it's still it's still tough. And actually, on that note, there's a there's an organization called Covenant House PA. Mm-hmm. If anyone's listening to this, go donate today because there are kids even to this day who come out as trans or come out as queer to their parents and they get kicked out and they're homeless. Um, Sometimes they're in school or oftentimes they're in school and or working and they've just have nowhere to go. They will crash on friends' couches if they can or like find somewhere to go. But Covenant House is one of the few like youth focused um, homeless shelters in the city. So go support them. They do incredible work and they need so much more money. There's like 500 kids a year they have to turn away because they don't have enough funds. So go, go throw money right there. Today. Yeah, one of the one of the organizations that I do music therapy with, we 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 work with Covenant House, and I mean, it's just some of those kids, man. It's like I I want to take them home myself, you know. It's 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 horrific, just kind of like you, they've just kind of been thrown out into the streets, you know, for whatever reasons, whether it's mental health issues or yeah. who they love, you know. It's it's just it's it's like you said, it's really it's really great to hear um, about parents that are just cool and supportive. Like I had that same thing. I think all of us kind of came from those kind of households where it wasn't like you do this or I don't love you anymore. You know what I mean? Like that shit blows my mind. Yeah. 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 Well, I wanted to, um, uh, I wanted to, you know, cause you obviously talk to a lot of artists and you're obviously, you know, involved with, um, you know, a lot of graffiti artists and things like that. And I'm always just curious because, you know, for me, I grew up in a rural area and like graffiti was always just like magical to me because I grew up in the middle of nowhere and there was no graffiti there. And like I would see videos of uh, Yo! TV raps of all these guys and, you know, in front of graffiti walls and so forth. And I'm just wondering, like, what's what's your experience sort of hanging out? And like, what's what is that scene? Can you give us a little bit of a background? Because it's still sort of underground, I think, to most people, even after all these years. Yeah. So this is a great time to, like, understand some of these terms a bit more. So like when you're talking about art in the public space, there's commissioned and non-commissioned. Commissioned stuff is like murals, monuments, public art. And on the non-commissioned side, there's graffiti and street art. It really all started with modern day graffiti, which started in the 60s here in Philadelphia and the Bronx. And Philadelphia was like folks like Cool Earl and Cool Earl and Cornbread. Um, I was gonna say, he better mention Cornbread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we, we interviewed Cornbread a while back. That was fun. He's incredible. Um, yeah. And it was, you know, the modern day graffiti movement, because graffiti has always existed, right? There's examples of graffiti, what we might consider graffiti, like in ancient Egypt, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think humans have always had this nature and this want to see themselves reflected in the public space and have their voices expressed in the public space. We see that now with social media, right? You can't post anything without, you know, your uncle from three families removed wanting to comment something or, you know, everyone wants to feel heard and seen and have themselves reflected in in the world and particularly in the public space. But the modern day graffiti movement, yeah, like spray cans, bubble letters, uh, in Philly, there's like the Wicked, um, started in the sixties, about 12 years after the invention of the spray can, that makes sense, right? Um, spray can makes it easier to do that sort of stuff, get in, get out. Um, 
And then street art sort of evolved from that. So, you know, graffiti said, who owns the public space? Who owns these, these walls in the public space? Why can't I do something there, right? And graffiti was creating brands for themselves in a way, if you think about it that way, names and tags uh, that became ubiquitous. And you'd see the same tag all over the place. Um, it's also about like refining your craft, refining your art form, doing the same tag over and over and over again until it gets perfect, but it'll never be perfect because you'll always keep doing it to make it perfect. Um, and street art kind of grew out from that saying like, okay, yeah, I want some space in the public space too. I maybe don't have the ability to do stuff with a can, but I am an illustrator or a painter and I can do stuff on paper and we paste it to a wall. Or in Philly, there's a, a fantastic tradition of like hand painted sticker art. Um, or, you know, more recently with like the internet, social media, artists are able to do things that are a bit riskier because they'll be able to photograph it and the photos can go viral even if the installations don't last, like yarn bombing. Or in Philly, there's an artist named Kid Hazo. So, um, yeah, I think this graffiti artists, graffiti writers, street artists are, you know, the modern day art movement. And I think they're some of the most innovative people. Uh, out there right now. I think when 400 years from now, when they look back at the art movement of this time, some of those writers and artists will be the focus of who helped change art and push it into a more, you know, something I noticed a few years ago, by the way, I can talk. I'm gay, Italian, and I grew up in Philly. So I can talk. <laughs> Rock out. This is why we have you. Yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all the big museums really started doing something a few years ago, like Inside Out and like, you know, the PMA did this thing called Inside Out where they took like replicas of the famous artwork in the museum and put it like we pasted it in neighborhoods. Barnes is stuff, done stuff in neighborhoods. What these big institutions realize is that like street artists and graffiti writers have a direct connection to the communities that they live in and the city and the folks who live in the city because their artwork is so accessible. You see street art on the way to work. You see we paste on the way to your school. Um, and... Growing up in Philly, I can probably count on one hand how many times I went to the PMA, the Philadelphia Museum of Art, when I was growing up, you know? But you see we, street art all the time. Um, so yeah, I think like when you look at this from a historical context, 500, 400 years from now, I think there might, I think what street artists and graffiti writers are doing right now is gonna be, seem like the thing. Yeah. Now, I, some of those guys are, from my experience, pretty sketchy. Like. Did you run into any issues with like, hey, I'm gonna take pictures of you guys doing your work, or was it just kind of like, after a while they they knew and respected who you were, and there wasn't any problems? Because because out of all the elements of you know the the urban hip hop culture, you know break dancing, rap, DJing, graffiti artists are by far the most like the most prone to stab you. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's yeah. Like, what are the ethics of the blog? It's a great question, and. As I mentioned before, like you started this asking about like the Divine Lorraine, right? Like I was invited mm -hmm. by artists to go in. Um, and then I went into some other places, photographed them, put them on the blog. And I had a few writers just like be like, don't do that. And I said, okay, I won't do it anymore. Um, so I don't do that anymore. I haven't done that for years and years and years, years and years and years. Um, so it's about like listening to artists and writers and respecting them. The blog focuses on street art. Um, and muralism because those are the artists who in my experience like want that kind of exposure um and for the most part most of the graffiti writers that i do document are writers who like explicitly tell me that they would like to be photographed or that they would like sure. their mural photographed or something so it's all about like respecting people's boundaries especially with graffiti you know we still live in a society that 
it's the, you know, spray paint on a wall and a wheat paste on the wall is the exact same thing, right? It's non-commissioned on a wall, right? You don't own the wall, you didn't get permission, okay. But so many people in this world see the wheat paste as like art and maybe right. the graffiti as graffiti, right? Like it's even taken right. on this word sometimes um, as like a, as a bad word. Um, so there's, I understand why a lot of the graffiti writers just like do not want that kind of attention because it's still this really dangerous thing, unfortunately. Um, it's so messed up because like we live in this world with all of these problems and all of these inequities, like someone using spray paint on an abandoned wall or on a construction wall, like what is that doing to the world? Nothing. If anything, it's just adding beauty and interest. I mean, Johnny Good Times, you mentioned that, like you found it an interesting part of like living in cities, um, seeing this sort of like art form on walls for free. It's interesting. So like all that's happening, but at the same time, you have global brands using graffiti aesthetics to sell their to sell their brands sure. and more yeah. graffiti writers sure. to do things. So in this weird nexus where like there is some portion of our population that has like thoughts and feelings about street art and graffiti, um, but also like some graffiti writers and street artists are making buck by like going and doing this stuff or like having shows or be participating in gallery exhibitions. So, um, but go back to your ethics question. Yeah, like for the most part if an artist doesn't want me to document them, I will not. And to go an even extra step, if they're not explicitly asking me to document them, I won't. Yeah. So you rule to that too, is if they don't have an easy to find Instagram, they probably don't yeah. want to. <laughs> right, right. Now when it's like a wheat paster where like their at symbols on there and they have a big cartel store and they have a podcast sure, sure. themselves, you're like, okay, this is also kind of marketing for them too. It's clearly, kind of like, you, clearly you want the attention. So yeah. 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 So it's about being attuned to all that and doing the best they can. You, just, you brought up Kid, Kid Hazzo. Um, so he, he did the giant parking tickets, right? Yeah. PPA. Yeah, so, does he give you a heads up? Because I'm thinking, man, Conrad is everywhere. How does he stumble upon this guy sticking this piece of art on a on a windshield? Or are you giving a heads up? Is that something that they tip you off that we're going to be here putting oh, this new yeah. piece up? Like, from day one, like I'll get text messages. You know, the artist will find me through Instagram and I'll say, text me if you're doing something. Um, but in the case of Kid Hazo, he lives in that realm of like when he's doing something, he'll say like, I'm going to go install. Do you want to come shoot? I'll go, sure. What are you going to do? And he'll go, I'm not telling you. I'll go, okay. <laughs> he'll pick me up that morning we'll go to the installation site and i get to see the piece he's like do you like it i'm like yeah well why did, couldn't you just text me that last night he's like ah, i want you to be surprised so <laughs> kid has and i have a very special relationship he's been part of my life since 2013 and we met through the blog just one example of like one of many art i mean look this is aubrey costello who's now my studio mate who i met um she was doing an install on south street one time and she asked me to go out with her to shoot it and I said sure I, I, your artwork's really interesting to me I'd love to photograph it and at the end she's like oh do you want to get a beer and chat like blah, blah, blah. and I was like no I'm gonna go edit these photos bye <laughs> like, <okay. laughs> and now she's like one of my best friends um, so yeah I think it's been a it's been a really great way to like not only grow the blog but to grow me personally like meeting all these folks yeah sure do you, do you draw any distinction between um, graffiti and tagging uh, in terms of uh, I'm, I'm curious as to what the, what the differences are. And again, I'm coming at this from the outside, like what, you know, like some guys just create these incredible like 
aesthetically beautiful some multicolored uh ta tags and then some guys just write their name real quick with spray paint and i don't know how much of that is like oh i want to get my name on the side of that building to like show that you know i'm the man and how much of that's like i want to create a piece of art and i just i just wanted to know if you could you could tell us a little bit about sort of the differences in terms of are there points for danger are there points for uh the number of colors you use in a design and that kind of thing well again the blog focuses more on street art and, and muralism but when you're talking about graffiti and tagging i mean they go hand in hand you can't have one without the other i think you're talking about like bigger like pieces like wall pieces um they those just take more time um a lot of times they're on walls like around like fifth and Cecil B. Moore where there's like de facto approval for it to happen. Um, and that space is regulated by, you kind of go over either the oldest piece that, like if you want to do something new, you kind of go over the oldest piece there, or if someone visited from out of town and it's the oldest, you'll go over that. Um, and there's a lot of spaces like that around the city that are like de facto like art galleries. Um, and, tag and tagging, yeah, like the, the quicker sort of tags that you're talking about are, from what I understand, often like how some folks learn how to get into graffiti, you you tag and tag and tag, you hone your skill with the can, and then maybe you move on to bigger stuff. But it's also just like they're one in the same. So like maybe you only have a few seconds to put something up, tag. Maybe you have you have some space and time, and maybe even permission to do something on a, on a wall to do a bigger piece. But um, yeah. What are the ethics with that and with murals and with all of the street art in terms of, um, you know, like, because a lot of times it might be something that's on top of something else, whether it's graffiti or whether it's a sticker or whether it's anything else. Is there kind of, are there some unwritten rules of public art? Yeah, I mean, the number one rule is respect everyone else out there, no matter what they're doing. So you don't go over anyone's stuff, point blank, period, ever. Um, and you know, that's the, the biggest rule, the first rule, um, don't go over people's stuff. Um, there are, there are like special cases where there's like, um, de facto free walls. Like there was one at like fifth and Bainbridge for a few years, two construction walls that met that like artists would go on all the time. And they were so heavily used that like, kind of like fifth and Cecil more, like if you wanted to go up in there, you kind of had to pick and choose where you went up. Um, and you would just kind of pick the oldest piece there. Um, the piece that was like tattered the most or, or the most like gone before you'd go up. But yeah, for the most part, you just, you respect everyone else's space and you, you don't go over anyone. Yeah. Have you ever gone out with anyone that um, tags like high, like to the point where it's like you can see it from the highway type tags? Cause I'm always fascinated by those where it's like literally like- Yeah, how they get up there, how they do it. <laughs> I have not, no. Someone yeah. holding their legs, hanging them over the side of the roof. <laughs> Yeah, Conrad said, fuck all Amazing. that. I ain't doing all that. <laughs> I think those are the folks who do not want to be on a blog, you know? <laughs> right, 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 right. I respect, I respect their privacy, you know? Sure. And, and, and is that is that a community that, do those guys know each other? Do they, re do they recognize each other's stickers or recognize each other's tags or what have you? Like, and is it, what what's the community like? Like, is the community a group of guys that might hang out together? Or is it just a group of guys that might get ready to put their sticker somewhere and be like, oh, I know the other guy that put his sticker on the back of this speed limit sign? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the street art community is really close. If you're talking about like graffiti and like um, tagging and stuff, I mean, they're all like forms of communication. I think um, all of 
know, whether it's graffiti or street art or like gallery work or museum work, like all of these creative circles like kind of run into each other. And yeah, you end up knowing, you know, meeting people and knowing people and building relationships. You know, sticker art's a great example of that, of like the collaboration that happens in like the sticker Philly art scene is incredible. You often see like a sticker with like four different uh, artists working on it and then putting it up around the city. Street artists do the same thing. You know, there's like yarn bombers who will collaborate with wheat pasters uh, to do stuff. Um, yeah, these, the you know, it's like any circles, any creative circles, you know, musicians in Philly, I guess musicians all know each other too in some form or another, you know. You posted recently about the South Street Leaning Tower of Pisa. And it's been there for like 20 years, I think you said. The history of all mysteries. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so you, is it, you're not playing this up. This is not some on-brand thing you're doing. You really have no idea who did this or who's maintaining it. There's one thing you need to know about me. It's that I cannot tell a lie. I truly do not know. I would have, I would have spilled the beans by now. Well, if they would have allowed, if they, I would have got. What, what is this thing we're talking about here? So it's on Fifth Street, off between South Street and what Lombard. There's yeah, like right a gas school, I think. Yes, there's an out. Yes. And there's this little like parking pole that like over the years, I don't know, at some point in time, like started to lean and someone painted the Leaning Tower of Pisa on it. I first noticed it probably, I don't know, I couldn't tell you the first time I noticed it, but the first time I photographed it was in 2013. I posted it to my Instagram and this was back maybe when I had like 5,000 followers. It got like 500 likes and I was like, whoa, the ratio, then that was crazy. That's bananas. <laughs> and it was the first photo I ever posted to get 500 likes. So it was like huge. People were talking about it on my work. So like, whoa, you got 500 likes. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I posted about it. No, nothing came from it. The interesting thing about posting, so I'm posting it now because I'm doing this thing on Instagram where I'm kind of recapping the last 10 years in photos. Um, and that one got 5,000 likes and a bunch of comments. People are trying to figure it out. Before that post on Instagram, I had heard that it had gone back to maybe the late 90s. Now people are saying maybe the early 90s. The best I can tell is that there are a number of comments saying that there was a pizza store there, like maybe Blackbird, and that the owners or the staff came out and painted it. The really interesting thing, though, is that it's being updated all the time by different people. So like, even if it was created originally by like Blackbird employees or whatever pizza shop was there employees, like the community loves it so much that they're refusing to let it go, you know, away to the wayside. They're updating it all the time, constantly refreshing it. And the even more interesting thing is that I would imagine like that's not okay from the city. Like someone from the city should see that and want to fix it. Like, so that, I don't know, hurt a car or something or a person. Right. But the sidewalk has been changed a couple of times, at least once that I've seen photographed. And it, they keep the pole leaning. It's interesting. It's a landmark. I gotta go see this. That's awesome. <laughs> I, never, I never heard of this. I never heard of this. Yarn bombing. I'm learning so much tonight, man. Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a yeah. square. Yeah, so us, yeah. We live in a city of like 4,000 murals, like something like 3,000 still stand. Mural arts is made of 4,000 murals. We live in a city of murals and something like this little leaning tower of Pisa Tiny little four foot, three foot thing blows people's minds. That's what I love about Philadelphia. Because it blew my mind. I mean, I'm so excited about stuff like that. Using the space, finding weird, quirky things like that. You know, right. I love it. Yeah. What What are uh, What are a couple of other weird, quirky things that people might even walk past and not even recognize? And obviously, you have an eye for that kind of thing. 
Yeah, I mean, well, walking past, there's this artist named Reed Beemore who lives in Baltimore but comes to Philly pretty frequently because there's a great street art scene in, in Baltimore, mural scene in Baltimore too. Because Baltimore is so close, um, there's a lot of like engagement and interaction between the artists there and here. And he'll come up pretty frequently. He'll do that thing too where he texts me and say, I just installed here, there, and the, and the other place. And he does wire installation. So there's these super thin wires that he molds into shapes. Oftentimes they're like whimsical. It'll be like a figure of like a, a girl swinging on a swing and he'll hang them from like electrical wires in the city. So when he first started coming to Philly, he would DM me and be like, oh, it's at this intersection. And I'd get to the intersection and I'd be DM him like, where? I don't see it. And he's like, just walk around. And you have to walk and your eyes have to catch it at the right spot. Cause if you catch it when it's like this, it's invisible. But if you catch it like that, you'll start to see it a little bit. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. So, and so they're hung on like wires and like street signs and stuff. The city, whenever the city notices them, they rip them down, but the city hardly ever notices them. So there are some that have been up for like years. It's really interesting. How many of them are around town, do you think? Oof, right now, probably only like three or four. I mean, COVID's okay. changed the whole world. Everyone's, right. you know, it's harder to travel and stuff. But, um, yeah. But there, when he's here, he'll install a bunch, and they're all over the place. Hmm. Yeah, how, how how has that changed? I mean, talking about you know, obviously we've lived through this extraordinary year. Uh, how has that changed uh, public art? How has that changed the artists that you're you know that you're familiar with and that you talk to on a regular basis? Mm, that's a great question. Well, we have a terrible mayor. I don't know if you've had that conversation with any other. <laughs> we have a terrible, terrible, terrible mayor and a not great city council president. So we've had next to no leadership in this city with zero, almost zero vision. Um, they can't seem to grasp or deal with this moment. I understand it's a historic moment, but they seem to be doing the very minimum. Um, I don't even think this mayor wants to be mayor anymore. Um, oh, he's, he's uh, checking out. out a while ago. I'm half almost on my beer. Well, this is my fist sounds coming out now. Um, <laughs> I don't like Mayor Kenny. I hope he. Re- I wish he would resign. And I, whatever. There, yeah. And I'm very excited about the next mayoral race because I think there's a lot of really awesome people, including some folks on city council who I think would be incredible uh, at that leadership level. And so. When you ask me about the struggles of, of art right now, or where's art been during COVID, the first thing that comes to mind is almost immediately after COVID, we went through a budget reconciliation process where we had to set up the budget for this year, 2021, and the mayor decided to pull so much money from the arts, so much money. There's already so little that they give us, yeah. and he pulled so much. He pulled $20 million from parks. Where are people supposed to go during a pandemic? Parks are one of the few places we can go. You're gonna pull $20 million from parks so that they can't keep their bathrooms open? Terrible, terrible, terrible mayor. Very little vision. Um, Meanwhile, the police got to keep their entire budget and then crossing guards moved over to another department. So, um, you know, uh, and he increased the police's budget by over $150 million in the last few years. So. He could have just like taken some of that money back and put it into the parks and into other things. But um, so the first real struggle was like all of these grants and these opportunities started to fade away because the funding structures were starting to fade away. Um, And 
at the same time, artists were expected to respond to the moment. Artists were hired by the city and hired by mural arts and hired by these other organizations to do COVID murals and to do COVID, you know, wear your mask things for SEPTA buses and stuff. It's this weird dichotomy where they pulled all the money away from the arts and they expected the arts to do more. It's very upsetting. But um, artists are resilient um, and, you know, if we've learned anything through COVID, it's that how much do we rely on the arts, right? Like how much of this year have you spent listening to music and watching podcasts? I mean, you know, I would consider this a creative field, what y'all are doing. It's, you know, this isn't math or science. Like you are thinking creatively about these questions and who you interview and all that kind of stuff. Listening to podcasts, watching like IG lives, watching movies uh, and seeing art on the street. You know, one of the first projects I worked on after COVID started to happen was this project um, creating murals for the public space that were adjacent to hand washing stations. And they were for, you know, housing insecure folks, unhoused folks, so that they could wash their hands and get information about COVID. You know, if you don't have access to a phone or news, you know, you might not know that standing six feet apart is one of the best things you can do right now. Washing your hands is one of the best things you can do right now. Um, so bringing that news and information and access to hand washing stations to the public space with art was one of the first things we did. Um, yeah, things are better now, though. I think that, like, um, you know, all of these organizations have found themselves to be really resilient. We have council members like Isaiah Thomas who are working with community members in the arts world to figure out, like, what is how do we move forward um, with a, a tighter budget or how do we move money around to make space for the arts? You know, this city, city cities are their creative communities. They are their working communities. They are their working class, you know, 10 rich people do not make a city, right? We are the city. How do you support us? Right. So, I mean, obviously you're clued in, you're smart, you're progressive. You've got a huge following when you've running for office. I mean, you should be council person at large. Well, it seems right like. I don't know. You know, I get that question a lot. And I think it's, it's one, it's like, oh, I appreciate that, that that's even an option. It would be really cool as someone who grew up here and who, you know, I think I have, vision hopefully and I have ideas about how these things should run but it's also like it's like so many people are passionate about politics and are passionate about like the communities that they come from or passionate about whatever um, so I view this from a couple of different places one like how come when you're, you're like young, you have an Instagram account and you talk about politics, are you automatically like, are you running for office? Because so many people are like that. A lot of the other like Instagram, you know, sort of cohorts I have or get that a lot too. When are you running for office? When are you gonna, it's like, we should all be running. We should all run all the time because the people who are there don't, are not doing the job for us, in my opinion. Yep. People like right. Mark Squilla, who's my- Oh expert, man. Constantly messing up. Someone needs to replace yeah. him. Now is it gonna be me? I don't know. It does interest me, the idea of running for public office. I don't know if it's now or soon, but like, yeah, public service really interests me at some point. Who knows? I don't know. When. Yeah, I feel like you I'm already, before I, before I already gotten a little bit of your uh, feet to the fire. I saw on Twitter you were called like, you know, a commie something rebel from some right wing news rag. What, yeah. what the hell happened with all that? What, tell, the, tell us the story of, of what transpired with that, because I found it very interesting because clearly they had no idea what they were talking about as usual. Yeah, so I, when Biden was named the winner, the official winner, you know, Biden was my first choice. I'm more of like a Bernie or Warren person, sure. um, politically speaking. But, you know, I'm also a person who sees that, like, whoever's in the presidency is going to be 
working in one way or another. They can either work a little bit for you or not work for you at all. My friend Opiola puts it this way, when you can't get the person you want, vote for your best opponent. And I think that is the sure. best way to think about it. Not the better of two evils, vote for your best right. opponent. Because yeah. he'll budge, he is budging, you know, he ran on $15 minimum wage, he ran on canceling some amount of student debt, um, and he came through with the stimulus and some other things. So um, the poster project, first 100 days, was this idea of using posters to uh, promote these progressive issues. People could use the windows that they have, their quasi-public space, to hang these posters, uh, maybe remove their Biden-Harris campaign signs and put these in there instead. Um, and yeah, some right-wing like national blog uh, called the <laughs> Bananas called me all the all these names, and it was scary because you know some of these some of these people who read those blogs will do some stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. First came out, I was a little bit like, "What is this? This is scary." But then I started, you know, I also got pretty fish town and started tweeting at the guy who wrote it and being like, you couldn't even include the posters. The ideas in these posters are so popular that you couldn't include the posters in your article about the posters. None of the images of the posters were included. I was like, that's, you, you can't even show your audience these ideas because they're so popular. $15 minimum wage is a popular idea. Florida right. voted for it. Are you kidding me? Right. Just, criminal justice reform is a popular idea. Republicans and Democrats want it. Like some of these ideas are so popular. Um, and it's just the people in power holding, holding us back from that progress. I'm curious what you think now that, you know, I think that we're kind of having this thing subsequently happening where I think we're both kind of mentally starting to hopefully come out of this situation we've all been under for the past year. And it's kind of in conjunction with spring. Um, and I'm wondering what, what do you see on the horizon in terms of public art now that people are starting to go back to the streets, now that people are starting to go back into restaurants and stores and things like that? Do you, do you think there's going to be any changes that come out of this past year that we've all been through? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think there's need there needs to be like a moment for joy, and I think there will be a lot of artists who maybe have been doing work around the pandemic or around Black Lives Matter or around you know very you know, around the campaign um, who want to make space for just joy. Um, and so I think there'll be a lot of artwork that uh, is just a true expression of that. I think artists and creatives and humans like we need. You know, we have to work, but then we have to rest and we have to work and we have to rest. You know, the fight never ends. But if you don't nourish yourself, you can't continue that fight. So I expect to see a lot of stuff like that. Right. Like um, artwork and murals and, and music. You know, there seems to be this like general consensus that we might be heading into like a roaring 20s again, um, that people will want to go out and celebrate and support the arts and see each other and, and all that kind of stuff. And I hope that that happens. But I also hope that we remember the lessons of this pandemic and of this trying time that, you know, we knew inequity was there, but it, it, this moment burst it open. We knew that systemic racism was there, but this moment blew it open. Um, and change has to come from that. We have to grow as people and as a society and as a world. And um, is the change going to come quick? I don't know. I wish it came quicker, but it has to come. So I think it's fighting and playing all of it. Maybe that's what the Roaring Twenties can be, our Roaring Twenties. Right? <laughs> and Jin, let's bring Jin back. <laughs> All for it. Uh, all right, we ready to uh, take it to the uh, to Yeah, the let's do it. Uh,
All right, so we are going to hit you with some rapid-fire questions. Oh, and uh, you are going to hit us with some rapid-fire answers. And uh, I'm going to start. Where uh, Where do you recommend takeout in Fishtown? Oh, Quechua uh, es Puebla. Where's your favorite venue to watch a musical performance in this great city of ours? Oh, oh. Rittenhouse Square, like the whoever musician or that band that's at Rittenhouse Square on the weekend. Yeah, those guys rock. Yeah. Snack time. Yeah. Uh, I read that one of your favorite things to do is spend an afternoon cleaning your house and then dancing around the house. What Whoa. song would you dance to? Where did you dig that up? What interview did you go from? Uh, what song would I dance to? It was, it was like on the six Google page. It was deep. Okay. Right now, I would dance to Lil Nas X. <laughs> the queer pop star I wish I had growing up. He is a genius, and he yeah, trolls yeah. everyone. Oh, he's a great troll. You want to talk about marketing? That's, oh, yeah, that's yeah. He, he invented marketing. Like he. Literally <laughs> 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 the airs are so good. <laughs> I would say no one can top him, but I don't think that's the case. <laughs> um, but uh, okay. is there a uh, artist or band that you would book for your birthday party this year? Once the restrictions lifted, once you can, uh, once you can throw a full fledged rager, what artist or group are you uh, inviting to perform? Like musician? Yeah, uh, I'll stay local and say Tierra Whack. Okay, Tierra, awesome, awesome. Um, I've never seen you uh, without a hat. What's your, who's your favorite hat brand? Do you have a favorite hat in particular? I've been wearing hats since I was a kid. I have so many photos. It's like my little safety blanket. Um, yeah. My favorite hat. Oh, Huff, maybe? Uh, rest in peace. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you do cologne, body spray, oil, or eau naturelle? Mm -hmm. I just wear natural deodorant. Yeah. Nice. Um, what is your karaoke song? Oh, I refuse to do karaoke. Nope. <laughs> Zero. I will walk home. I will leave. <laughs> Get a shot on the way and I'll walk home. Uh, best guest that you've had on your podcast thus far. And I don't mean best, like, it could have been that the interview went off the rails or whatever. Like, just your favorite interview that you did. Oh, you know, and, oh, God, I can't say that so many different ways. I really enjoy talking with Ignis Saffron um, about her career, what she thinks about specifically what, what she thinks about like architecture in the city. And we had this really great conversation about Independence Mall and how the city tore down all of this stuff to build postcard, like postcard looking views. It was really interesting, something I didn't know. Okay. I think she hated us. <laughs> yeah, she didn't. She she was not. She was like, "What are these three drunk weirdos?" Like, yeah. uh, which uh, which eleven o'clock local news do you watch if you have to? <laughs> Come on, Greg. We're not talking to him. this guy's not seventy. Oh <laughs> man, I'm looking for a Jimmy here. <laughs> I guess when I was a kid, we would watch ten channel ten to NBC. All right. All right. Uh, yeah. Favorite. Uh, not maybe not favorite, but give us maybe one or two of your uh, art Instagram blogs, um, Instagram pages we should be following. Oh, okay. Oh, there's too many to name. So Just Shanina give me a couple Diana. that you really enjoy. Yeah. Shanina Diana is this incredible artist who I recently worked with on a mural at the Fashion District. I would follow her. She does a lot of stuff around mental health. Um, and she also celebrated a 10-year anniversary um, of this 
regular yearly annual exhibition to show. It's called Embryo. And she's working on something that she'll be announcing soon that I know about, and I'm very excited for her. Um, ooh, 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 ooh. Max Swan. I don't know, a musician in Philly that I've been really wanting to have oh, on my I love the sex man, yeah. But I saw him once at the Kimmel. My friend Aubrey, I hate events. It's like my thing. I hate events. I'd rather just be under the blankets at home. But my friend Aubrey yeah. Costello took me to the Kimmel Center once and like they have these shows in the basement. This is not a fancy mm-hmm. answer. And he was playing that. And I was like, whoa, live music. It's great. I should just see more live music. But and I've been following him ever since. Yeah, Max is awesome. What's, what's a bad habit you're trying to break? So when I'm really stressed, I do this to my eyebrows and I'll do it all day long. I'll like type emails like this and, this and then I'll get home and I'll have like all of the eyebrow hairs will be curled and like poking into my skin and like irritating it. And it's terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, no, you're right. I'm probably the first person to say something like that, but yeah. Yes. Yeah. First eyebrow. What's, uh, uh, what's something that scares you? Um, not having enough time. Mm. On this the is the last scale, one. Big scale. On the small scale, daily scale, but also the big scale. Like, am I going to do enough in this world? All right. So this is the last question for me. I always ended with this one. What is the secret to making a relationship work? Like a business relationship? You're just saying relationship. Relationship. Any way you want to take it. Being so... Can I curse? No. Sure. Please do. Fuck yeah. Being so fucking excited about that relationship and that person or that business or that brand or that, you know, coworker that you just like want to be around them and you'll get through all the other shit. That might be the best answer I've ever gotten for that one, man. And I've asked about 40 <laughs> people that question. <laughs> you know, 40. You some friends, they'll text you, you're going to hang out, you want to hang out Friday, you're like, okay. And then you're some <laughs> how many, how many like, episodes have yeah, you done, right? Well, you've done at least 40, right? We did like 80, I feel like, at this point. <laughs> really? Uh, editing, it feels like 120. Yeah. Um, you offer me, Johnny. Go ahead. Uh, no, you can close this out. Close this out. Give it give, give, give a right. good Well, I just want to ask him, what is uh, his at-back, his walk-up, his wrestler entrance, his theme song? What is your theme song? My theme song? Yeah, yeah. If you're a wrestler and they're announcing you're entering the ring, what are you coming out to? Okay. Um... <sighs> I was a part of an award show once, and they asked me what song I wanted to come out to, and I said "Blinding Lights" by Kanye West, and that's the only thing coming. To- Blinding lights, flashing lights, flashing that's lights. Only thing coming to my mind right now. So maybe that's not a great answer, but that's what I'm going to say right now. All right, I'll that's add it to the fun. Philly Blunt playlist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good one. All right, Count Randall, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us. Yeah, appreciate it, man. We appreciate you. Uh, you having me. A local, uh, our, not just our community, but all the charity stuff you're doing, all the social activism you're doing, greatly appreciate it. Yeah, you help old guys like us stay hip. I know all the hip stuff on street art, all because of you, man. So I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Johnny, like, so, so when they write on the walls, another guy allowed to write on Do artists know each other? Yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah <Johnny. laughs> what's next? Come on. All right, man. Yeah, take it easy. They can find, people find you everywhere as the street department, right? Yes. Yeah, right there. Right. Cool. All right, thanks, thanks Conrad. Take it easy. Appreciate it. Just the sound of Philadelphia. the home of brotherly love brothers covered in blood the man's office is covered in bugs the youth dreams cut short